In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear Faithful, Today is Laetare Sunday. Laetare meaning rejoice. The Church takes a brief break from the usual austere atmosphere of Lent, allowing rose vestments to be worn instead of the usual violet. And it is also possible to play the organ and have flowers on the altar. On this Sunday, the Church presents to us each year the miracle of the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, which is told to us by St. John in his Gospel. St. John explains that having crossed the Sea of Galilee, our Lord climbs a mountain and settles there with his disciples. And from this vantage point, he could see very clearly the multitude of people who followed him to the other side of the lake, so thoroughly impressed they were with his miracles and all they had seen him perform on those who were diseased. Our Lord, taking pity on the crowd of people who had come without provisions, resolved to feed them. And after questioning his disciples as to the means available to perform such a task, they could only come up with five barley loaves and two fishes offered by a young boy from the crowd. What are these, asked his disciples, for a group of 5,000 men? And we should note that this count of 5,000 only includes the men present. It did not include the women and children. But our Lord, after having given thanks, distributed food to the whole of the multitude. Or more precisely, he distributed the those which he had multiplied to his disciples, who in turn themselves distributed the food to the people. Each and every one of those present had their fill, and the leftovers were super abundant, 12 full baskets. St. John tells us that this miracle occurred when the feast of Passover was at hand. And immediately after this miracle, we read of our Lord's discourse on the bread of life, which St. John explains to us. This discourse when our Lord said that he would give us for food his flesh and for drink his blood. Now, if we seek to understand the spiritual signification of this miracle with the fathers of the church, we can start out by reminding ourselves that Jesus looks down upon us from the mountain of his heavenly throne. And from this throne of goodness, he sees our spiritual destitution, our imperfection, our sinfulness, our weakness, and he resolves to provide a source of strength and nourishment. That there is a link between this miracle and the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist is clear, first of all, because of the use of bread, which is part of the matter of the Blessed Sacrament. Secondly, because there is a reference to the Feast of Passover. And finally, because, as we said, the discourse on the bread of life immediately follows this miracle. 
This miracle was a preparation for our Lord's revelation that if we do not eat his flesh and drink his blood, we have no life within us. The bread multiplied and distributed to the famished people represents grace, divine help, by which God strengthens the soul. And then, more specifically, it represents and foretells the sacrament of the Eucharist, which is multiplied, so to speak, at every Mass and distributed for the spiritual nourishment of the faithful. Notice also that our Lord does not distribute the loaves to the crowd directly, but rather he uses his disciples as intermediaries for this task, which is an image of the Catholic priesthood, this channel of grace by which the Eucharist and the other sacraments come to us, the priesthood being God's privileged instrument of grace. However, we ought to note that any person or object or event can be an instrument of grace. This miracle shows us that God often works through intermediaries. And then finally, to conclude this brief, this brief explanation of the passage, let us take note with the fathers of the church as to exactly what was multiplied, how much of it. Five barley loaves and two fishes. A first explanation of these figures is that the five barley loaves represent the five books of the Jewish law. In other words, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Bible, known as the Pentateuch, and the foundation of the exterior rites of the Jewish religion. And then the two fishes, these represent the prophets and the Psalms. All of these were preparations for Christ, who now expounds upon them, explains them, and fulfills them by his teaching and the foundation of the church. A second explanation, which is moral in its focus, sees in the five barley loaves our five senses, to which all our passions are intimately linked. The two fishes, on the other hand, would represent our intelligence and our will. These, if they pass through our Lord's hands, are purified, strengthened, ordered, and abound in good works. St. Paul, in today's epistle, distinguishes between what he calls symbolically the bondage of the Jewish law and the freedom of the sons of God by grace in the church. The Jewish religion and its demanding rituals was only a preparation for the Catholic religion which Christ would bring. Many Jews at this time had become slaves to the exterior aspect of their religion so that they were blind to all spiritual aspects, and in particular, the fulfillment of their religion by Christ and the Church. As for us, we benefit from the freedom of grace. God's supernatural help enables us to know the good, to seek the good, to perform the good, and to love the good. We are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free woman, the church, as St. Paul explains. However, we all risk to become slaves of sin. Our Lord said that whoever commits sin is slave to sin. 
Now the slave abides not in the house forever, he says, but it is the son that abides forever. Sin, as you know, is any thought, word, action, desire, or omission which is contrary to God's law. And you also know that we distinguish between sin which is serious and sin which is not, between mortal and venial sin. Many, however, do not fully appreciate these concepts. They imagine that the difference between these two types of sins is simply a difference of list. We have a list of very bad acts and a list of other acts which are less serious. But it is important to understand that the concept of sin is one of conversion or turning towards creatures and turning away from the Creator. Therefore, sin always consists in some inordinate love of self or of pleasure or of something in this world, and it is at the same time a despising of God in some fashion. In the case of venial sin, the turning towards the creature is minor and the offense towards God minimal. A small lie, for example, with little consequence eating a bit more than reasonable, words spoken with irritation, and so on. These sins are certainly harmful to the spiritual life, and they certainly offend God, but they do not cause us to fall off the path to God. They are not completely incompatible with the love of God, insofar as they do not cause us to lose charity or the love of God in our souls. Mortal sin is quite different. Here, the conversion or turning towards a creature is complete and radical, resulting in radically turning oneself from God, despising him. These sins are so grave that we cannot commit them and love God at the same time. They are completely incompatible with charity and the soul, And whereas venial sin merely distracts us on our path to God, mortal sin causes us to actually fall off this path. One cannot murder an innocent person and love God. One cannot commit adultery and love God. But even more, one cannot even harbor a hateful thought or harbor a lustful thought knowingly and willingly and still love God. Mortal sin is not just a list of so-called grave offenses. They are sins which actually turn us away from God that cannot be committed without losing this love. Our Lord says, If therefore the Son of God shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. True freedom is freedom from sin, which must begin by an absolute renunciation of all mortal sin. For those who have fallen into these sins, confession is the remedy. But the Holy Eucharist is also a remedy against mortal sin, not the first remedy of those who have committed it, that is the sacrament of confession, but it is the remedy of those who are in the state of grace. The Holy Eucharist is the preservative against serious sin. St. Thomas Aquinas sums up all the effects of the Blessed Eucharist with these words, 
O sacred banquet in which Christ is received, in which we actually receive Christ, whereas in the other sacraments we receive privileged graces, in the blessed sacrament we receive Christ himself. He continues, we remember your passion, which is renewed at every sacrifice of the Mass, and which is the means of our salvation applied to us by the Blessed Sacrament. The soul is filled with grace, graces to grow in the love of God and to overcome temptation. And finally, a pledge of future glory is given to us, a foretaste of heaven. So on this Sunday of rejoicing in the midst of Lent, let us come to this blessed sacrament, this divine remedy, with renewed devotion. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.